this episode of the first run, Matt and I are going to discuss John Krasinski's sequel to the surprising horror hit, A Quiet Place 2. Shh. Wait, what? Sh- We're also going to spend a few minutes talking about the Mitchells versus the God! Mitchells is Machines. And then it'll be the return of What Are the Odds? We'll also tell you what's coming up on physical media featuring your streaming and straight to DVD picks of the week. Matt, I don't think we'd make it. All right, let's start everything off with a clip from A Quiet Place 2. Matt, the Abbott family is back. After mostly surviving the events of the first film, the uh, family tries to connect with maybe some other people and figure out what to do next as they maneuver through the lands trying to avoid these monsters that hunt on sound. Of course, Matt, that sound potentially being their biggest weakness. So Matt, what is A Quiet Place 2 all about? Expanding a little bit, I guess, on what I just said. Yeah, I, mean, I was about to say, you you laid out quite a bit of it there. Um, well, A Quiet Place 2 takes up, picks up pretty much right where the original left off. Um, there's been an alien invasion of uh, predatory, um, murderous um, creatures that hunt on sound. Um, basically, in this instance, um, spoiler alert... Um, you know, with the death of the father, um, played by John Krasinski in the first film, the family decides to strike out to try and find other people um, where they encounter what looks like a, a friend from their past. Um, and they kind of figure out how to proceed uh, together. There you go, Matt. So A Quiet Place 2, I guess there are a bunch of different directors and ideas they were looking at too for this sequel but everything that i've read felt kind of just franchisey and then krasinski and his writing partner had the had this idea to kind of expand the film by focusing more on the daughter's experience mm-hmm. and kind of fleshing out the themes from there so there's a problem sometimes you run into sequels. Now, occasionally there are sequels that are better than the originals, but it's a rare phenomenon. And a lot of times those just feel like kind of cheap cash grabs. And other times there are sequels that expand our universe and make things richer, more interesting. We get a wider feel for everything. There are more scares, whatever the case may be. So where does A Quiet Place 2 fall down in that spectrum? 
And does it really need more of an Arnold Schwarzenegger action hero type vibe instead of this kind of, you know, slow uh, horror thriller thing? I don't think so. To answer your last question first, I don't think we need a, I don't think we need uh, Arnie going around throwing around one liners um, while he kills aliens while flexing um, covered in glycerin. You I think son this is of a bitch. I think this is uh, fine the way it is. I mean, you know, the first one I think was successful because it had this kind of, you know, horror sensibility with this kind of action pieces of it as well. And I think that's continues here and that's pretty successful. I think I wouldn't say this is better than the original necessarily, but I, I would definitely say that this lands in that expansion category. I think it's ultimately pretty successful for the most part. I don't feel like it was a cash grab necessarily. I felt like a natural progression of the story and overall it's pretty successful. I think that's fair. I think it does lose a bit of the charm that the first film had because it was a relatively interesting and new concept uh, that it, in a way it played with the deafness I thought was, I just thought it was an, a fun and neat idea. Uh, so a lot of that stuff we have pre-established, but I think one of the issues I have with this film, Matt, is it introduces some, which I don't recall in the original, some a, one particular plot line that is driven by just stupidity, which drives me crazy in the movie, particularly when the kid goes to explore mm-hmm. the uh, abandoned smelting factory thing, wherever they are, right? Sure. I guess he's waiting for something to happen, and he gets, he goes, well, I better go check things out for myself, I guess, for some reason. Okay. Which brings him and his family into danger the whole time. I actually think I, I almost said out loud, what are you doing? You effing idiot. You know? So I don't know. It just frustrated me. And one thing to this film does that the prior one doesn't or didn't, depending on how you like to speak, is that it, we branch out. We introduce multiple plot lines in this film where we have, we have Cillian Murphy's character trying to figure out where his path is in the future as he helps the deaf daughter, perhaps who may have a way to save people and to bring this to an end even. And then we have the issue with Emily Blunt's character, her mom, who now has to find medical supplies, right? So she has her short adventure. And then we have, as I said, Noah Jupe, who plays the kid Marcus Abbott, who does that really incredibly stupid thing that drove me crazy, who then imperils the family. So usually by splitting the narrative, it can be a smart way to ratchet up the tension because now we have a bunch of different plot lines that we need to follow. And that I think Krasinski does a reasonably good job of doing that when he kind of brings all of those closing moments together, right? He kind of weaves them and pulls the strings all at once. So all three of them kind of end and come together around the same moment. Except there were parts of it that I didn't quite buy, particularly the feral, potentially cannibal boat lot dwellers. And that part seemed to, I felt I had an issue with time. That A, they were gone too long. And I had no real feel for the pacing of this thing. Does that, any of that make sense? I don't know. I've been babbling yeah. for a bit. Why don't you tackle some of that? Yeah. So I guess first, yeah, the the exploration is stupid. And I guess you could argue that it's maybe outside of his character since he seems to be a relatively fearful character. But at the mm-hmm. same time, kids are stupid. So <laughs> like, I don't know. I know, you know. 
mean, you're only like a few years removed from being a child yourself because you're so youthful, but um, how many times did you go and do something stupid? Like looking back now, you're like, man, that was dumb and I'm lucky I got away with it kind of thing. So I I, I didn't being hunted by alien creatures. Probably. Well, not. not necessarily, but I mean, I guess if you're, if that's the world you're living in and you've survived this long, I guess maybe you are dumb enough to think that you can get away with it. So, I mean, I don't, I didn't have any problem with that necessarily. Maybe it felt a little bit like artificial, but I don't know. It seemed like it, it didn't seem like it was like character breaking for me or, or like it was like artificial in any way. No, um, but it just, it just felt dumb. I don't feel like well, it was, it was like something he wouldn't have done and they just injected it for some tension. I more just think it was a, well, no, I guess I do feel that the second part of that, that it was, it was introduced just to ratchet up some tension there. Not mm-hmm. that it was against his character per se, but this, it was just, it was a, it was a plot device more than anything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to be as harsh on it as it didn't seem out of place for this type of film. And then as far as the other piece, you know, I think Krasinski is just trying to answer some of those questions. Whereas the first one was so kind of centered on just this one family. And you didn't even know if there's, if there was anybody else that even existed outside of their area. And of course, then you've got the ideas. Is this like, relatively contained you know like is this like a 28 days later situation where it's basically just a small part of the u.s and you just don't know kind of thing so i think it's interesting that he kind of brought on more people or what other people were doing to survive now uh, why there would be cannibals in this i don't really know or i mean i I don't know if they're cannibals i just injected that but yeah Yeah. i mean i could guess i could see predatory people you know trying to take what people have i guess but Mm -hmm. i don't know that seemed just kind of like tropey i mean this is supposed to be kind of a post-apocalyptic movie and so what's a post-apocalyptic movie without showing the evils of man kind of thing so i mean i guess yeah it was a little tropey but it didn't really bother me if this thing does get a sequel um i I would assume they're gonna have to kind of you know go out into the broader world and kind of show you more of what's out there and what people are like. Yeah, and, and I wanted a little bit more of that. I don't know if it's because I just finished playing The Last of Us Part Two, which mm-hmm. is phenomenal, by the way. Surprise, you know, spoilers, I guess. <laughs> Everybody's probably been done playing it for almost a year, but uh, I just finished it, and it's, actually, it's probably the best video game experience I've ever had, though I'm not a, as big a gamer as others. But I would like to have seen a little bit more of that. And maybe you're right. Maybe that's what will, will be part of the third film. And I think it's always interesting that we seem to shift to, like like The Walking Dead is a perfect example of that, is that you don't really focus so much on the zombies, but it's the, the real monsters are the right. uh, the people, right? Right. And that's probably, if there's a third. And it certainly feels like it's set up for a third film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it ends rather abruptly. And it does have a right. pretty slick and sleek running time which i'm sure you appreciated but uh yeah it's it's solid i'd like the introduction of cillian murphy's character it was a, a new welcome dimension like you said that we got to see a little bit outside of this this condensed family unit so i think that was good it has some solid jump scares not a lot of gore but it's clear and it is clearly not a pg-13 horror film i think through yeah. and through it's yeah. a pg-13 horror movie and yeah. it's fine. Does it sacrifice some logic for pacing? Sure. 
You know, I mean, what do you think about that? Did it, I felt like Cillian Murphy's character and uh, what is it? Millicent Simmons, Regan or Reagan that they were gone. It felt like, I mean, they, they traverse the, tra- the train tracks. They get to this place. They're at the boat place and they end up someplace else. And this all happens in what? Like four or six hours, 12 hours. Um, is- no, I think it's, he said it was basically- overnight. At one point, he says it's basically less than two days when when he talks to Jamon Hanshu about how far they've had to travel. So Emily Blunt's got to assume that they're dead then at that point, right? You would think. Well, two I guess days? it would be hard to, I guess it would be hard to figure that out because she goes back, right? Which she travels a day in the other direction, and then she comes back to where they were holed up. So. For her, when she does get back, there's bigger problems than having to deal with where is Cillian Murphy and her daughter. Mm-hmm. So it's probably not first on her mind because otherwise she does has no clue about how long any of them have been gone. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just something. It just never. It just felt off to me the whole time. Yeah, I, I think you're looking too much into it. You're looking for logic. Or you're looking for this thing to make time sense when it's really only like an hour and a half i think everything is kind of happening simultaneously and it's hard to kind of parse that out with everything that's going on as far as the visual clues of how this is all happening mm-hmm. but yeah i would think i would just chalk it up to kind of this stuff was kind of all happening concurrently kind of thing right fair enough any final thoughts on a quiet place too yeah i mean i think it's uh as chris said it's a very solid pg-13 horror film if you're kind of squeamish but you do like to be you know scared every now and again i think this is a good film for you to go see it's quick it's tightly paced i thought it was quite enjoyable you know i wasn't blown away by it or anything like that i feel like this is like a solid like solid b plus movie territory is what they're making here they're not trying to be groundbreaking they're just trying to make a relatively low budget fun thriller horror film yeah, I think that's fair. I ended up giving it a B minus myself, but I think I agree with most of your sentiments there. It's, uh, yeah, that's good. So uh, Quiet Place 2 is currently playing in theaters. It'll also be on Paramount Plus, Matt, in 45 days. Well, a little less by the time you hear this. Mm. So you can check that out then. I got to tell you, I was a little nervous. I was at the theater last night, Matt, and there was a gaggle of about 14, 15, late teens, early 20 kids that walked mm-hmm. in. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> but they were quiet the whole time. Oh, good. good. So I didn't I didn't have to get any of the uh, old man get off my lawn type stuff to, with them. So plus, like, were I wouldn't have said a... anything because they would have kicked my butt, I'm sure. But Yeah, you had a chamber, though. You were ready to go get the manager was, if you had I, to. <laughs> absolutely. So, oh, another one thing, too. You know, Brian Tyree Henry, first-run favorite, was actually originally cast in on Jaman Hosu's role. Oh, really? But he had to bail out because of scheduling conflicts. Okay. So, All right. Too bad. All right, folks. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We would love to hear your thoughts about A Quiet Place too. Matt, coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, June 8th, a brand new 4K set that I basically pre-ordered the day it was announced. I'm very excited to get this. Now I just have to figure out what I want to do with my Blu-rays. But either way, it's coming. Wait, I don't need any help. You do. Not the man I knew ten years ago. 
Not the years. It's the mileage. Please, I don't need a nurse. I just want to sleep. He's such a baby. Marion, leave me. Go away. Yes. It hurts. Wow. Well, goddammit, anywhere doesn't it hurt? Here. Here. Dare I say, Matt, a perfect film. Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Indiana Jones Quadrilogy. A movie Matt and I know so well that Matt was able to pantomime the scene while he was listening to that clip. So, Indiana Jones, uh, all four films are being released in 4K as part of the box set. Best Buy, you can get a steel book. It will be presented in Dolby Vision with Dolby Atmos soundtracks and HDR10. There is a bonus disc Blu-ray of special features on the set with the Raiders of the Lost Ark, making of the films, including the original 1981 documentary on the making of Raiders and um, behind-the-scenes featurettes and more. A lot of Crystal Skull stuff, unfortunately, on here, but it is what it is. I am excited mm-hmm. to get this set. I, I And it includes digital copies, so yeah. um, that'll be fun too. So, Matt, I'm assuming you know you own Indian Blu-ray, right? I don't. So I remember when the Blu-ray came out, you were raving about how great it was and about mm-hmm. how I needed to get this. And I, I held off and I held off and I held off because I had just bought that DVD set that came out like a year or two years before that. Yeah. And I never got around to getting it. And now I feel like the smart one because I don't have it and I can just get the 4K, you know? That's it. There will, will, there will not be Blu-rays included in this set though. You either get, you get the 4K discs and then the Blu-ray bonus. Will there not be Blu-rays of the individual films? Just That's so okay. Us. That's okay. We got digital copies. And then when 8K comes out, you know, in, in four or five years. Then, I'm done. Uh, sure. Matt, what's the point? A, the age that I'm at, mm-hmm. I'm not going to upgrade again. Plus, we're going to get to a point where I'm not going to be able to really notice the difference as it is. I got my first pair of glasses last year. I got my follow-up appointment next week. They're going to tell me I'm even worse. So what the, <laughs> what's the point? I, I really don't. I can say definitively that I will not be upgrading ever again past 4K. I just don't see. There's no. How much better can it get? There's It's lossless audio. Mm-hmm. And how clear? I mean, no, I, I think I'm good with the 4Ks. I'm not. Yeah, gonna... I think I think the human eye stops being able to detect it after 12K, maybe. Like after that, it, like even if they get higher, it will never look any better to you. Yeah, so I think I'm done. So I've I've owned them on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray, and now I'll have the 4K. So that's what four times I've bought it. Yeah. Okay, then what about when they can beam it directly into your brain? Are you going to get that version of it? You can watch behind your eyelids? Well, I'm assuming I'll just be able to use a digital copy I already have. So. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll be able to stream it right there. Yeah. Uh, one of the films that was a victim of the pandemic, The Lovebird, starring Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani, is being released on Blu-ray. It, it was originally supposed to be in the theaters, got sold off in the Netflix, and now you can pick it up. It's uh, on the brink of breaking up. A couple gets unintentionally embroiled in a bizarre murder mystery. I never got to see this. I think it was on our list at one point back when we yeah. thought 
before everything went down. But right. um, yeah, there you go. City of Lies, Russell Poole and Jack Jackson investigate the murders of rappers Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac Shakur. I believe this film is supposed to be horrible. It stars Johnny Depp, I believe, as one of the detectives as well. Okay. Flashback, Dylan O'Brien and Mika Monroe. Uh, you don't know Mika Monroe. She was in, what's a film we really love? It Follows mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. Of course, Dylan O'Brien in Love and Monsters, which we just re- reviewed last month. After a chance encounter with a man forgotten from his youth, Fred literally and metaphorically journeys into his past. Arrow is releasing The Stylist. This is a horror film about a stylist who goes crazy. There's a CD soundtrack included on that one, as well as two-disc limited edition contest. What includes the... What else we have? We talk about the CD soundtrack. And then it has some audio commentaries, exclusive Blu-ray introduction, uh, outtakes, location scouting, the original Kickstarter video that got the film funded, a 2016 short film by the director as well, and more. Shot Factory is releasing The Unhealer. Starring some 80s and 90s classic stars, Lance Henriksen and Natasha Henstridge. A bullied teenager gains the means to fight back when a botched faith healing bestows supernatural, shamanistic powers upon him, man. When his lifelong tormentors pull a prank that causes the death of someone he loves, the teen uses his newfound abilities for revenge and goes on a bloody rampage to settle the score. A gag reel is almost some deleted and then alternate extended scenes are included in that. The uh, Asian film Undercover Punch and Gun. Undercover Police Wu teams up with unlikely allies in order to fight a major drug dealer and take down a drug smuggling ring. Criterion is releasing Masaki Kobayashi's The Human Condition. The mammoth humanistic drama is being released on Blu-ray. Includes high-definition digital restorations of parts 1 through 4. An excerpt from a 1933 Directors Guild Japan interview with a director and more. Warner Archive is giving us There Was a Crooked Man, featuring Kirk Douglas, Henry Fonda, and Hume Cronin. Film Movement is releasing Center Stage, starring Maggie Chung, which is about the uh, legendary uh, Chinese actress Yun Ling Yu. It's a brand new 4K restoration of that, as well as a new introduction by Stanley Kwan. Full Moon features releasing Lover of the Monster, the uh, old horror film featuring Klaus Kinski. You get a brand new remaster of the fully uncut version of that. Mondo Macabro has two films coming out, The Howl of the Devil and Hunting Ground. Code Red is going to release Scream. This is from 1981, not the 90s version, also known as The Outing. Kino Lorber is giving us La Magnifique, also known as The Man from Acapulco, which is, I believe, a French spy movie. Uh, Francois Merlin is an espionage book writer. He likes to mix everyday characters he can meet with his book. That is a really poorly written sentence. Cartouche from Kino is being released, a brand new 4K restoration of that one. Under the Sand from Kino as well, starring Charlotte Rampling. Son of White Mare, Matt, is an animated film. It's about the son of a divine horse who sets out to avenge the injustices and free three captive princesses. One of the great psychedelic masterpieces of world animation. This is by the Hungarian animator Marcel Jankovics. You get a brand new 4K restoration from the original 35mm camera negative and more. The 80s comedy air quotes, like Father Like Son, featuring Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron is getting a Blu-ray release. There was a rush of those Freaky Friday movies back then. There's also one, what, with Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold, I think it was, right? Yeah, Trading Places, I think is what it was called. No, that's the uh, Eddie Murphy movie, Trading Places. No, I, I know it is, but I, I thought they I thought they used it again. Something like that. I don't that. know. Yeah. You're getting Steelbook releases of some 80s classics, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Some Kind of Wonderful, and then Pretty in Pink. 
Another 4K release uh, for the anime fans, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, the complete collection, getting newly remastered in 4K with HDR and a brand new Japanese Dolby Atmos audio track. You have some uh, animated features as well and an original story digest, compilation story digest, and more. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt, is going to be Assault on VA33, featuring first-run favorite Michael J. White of Black Dynamite fame, basically one of the reasons why this show exists. Jason Hill, played by Sean Patrick Flannery, is a decorated veteran and PTSD sufferer. He meets his wife, Jennifer, for lunch at the VA hospital where she works. After Jennifer is called away for an emergency consultation with the head of the U.S. military's Joint Chiefs of Staff, the hospital and everyone in it are taken hostage by heavily armed terrorists. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? So I'm going to recommend a film from 2011. Um, it's available on Amazon Prime called Take Shelter. It stars uh, Michael Shannon, who he and his family live in a small town in Ohio. Um, a, rel- a normal life when he starts having visions of the apocalypse. And he starts to build a bomb shelter in his backyard, um, which puts a strain on his relationship with his wife, Jessica Chastain, and kind of freaks the town out. It's a good, interesting little psychological thriller with a family drama kind of put in there as well. And, you know, we're, we're big fans of Michael Shannon, so he's at uh, his Michael Shannon best. Low-key, low-simmer Michael Shannon, as opposed to, like, bug-eyed, crazy Michael Shannon. Yeah, yeah, no, that is a great pick, man. I haven't watched that in a long time. I remember, I think I saw that in the theater. I mm. really, really liked it, so uh, that's a good one. I also want to point out quickly, too, I've gone back and forth on importing demons and demons 2 in 4k from arrow so they have a uk release of the of that the classic uh horror the italian horror films by uh lumberto bava and it's gonna it would cost like over 100 bucks man to get these things in here on 4k because remember 4k is region free folks Mm. and then just yesterday one of the main guys at synapse which holds the distribution rights for demons in the States. And Synapse released a Blu-rays that I have about, I don't know, five, six years ago. He, an Instagram post basically saying, saying, oh, I wonder, would it be worth it for Synapse to release 4K releases of demons with two different versions of the film and a bunch of new features and blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> I am so glad. I almost pulled the trigger like two weeks ago, Matt, yeah. uh, on that import. And now it looks like we may get a brand new set from Synapse directly here in the States of 4K. So if you're going back and forth in that, or you're looking on eBay where the prices for them are outrageous, hang tight, folks, because it looks like we're going to get a domestic release of Demons here in 4K. All right. All right. Let's go ahead then, Matt, and spend a few minutes talking about the latest film from the producers of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, possibly the best Spider-Man movie the past 10, 15 years. Well, let's see what they're coming up with next with Mitchells versus The Machines. Okay, uh, look at look at jokester here. Oh no. Give us the laptop. Give us the laptop. Give us the laptop. Give us the laptop. Everything with the pouch of is alive. Delicate fluff and fold. Also, pesto. When we are finished with you, there will be no leftovers. Oh, I thought that kill code thing would take him out! Yeah, but it's only a 12%! 
Would you like a soda? Just kidding. <laughs> so Matt, the Mitchells versus the Machines. There is a fun little dysfunctional family. They have their own little interpersonal strife, right? Young Katie, the daughter, is about to go to art college, and she has a very strained relationship with her dad. And in order to kind of make up that relationship, instead of dropping her off at the airport where she can meet all her new friends and really find her people in that, because she won't feel so quirky and out of place, they decide to do a road trip, drive across the country to bring her to art school. And on the way, there is a robot apocalypse. This animated film, Matt, I got to say, going back and forth on this one, it's... I think where I ended up is that it's genuinely a real shame that this didn't get a wider theatrical release because it's a lot of fun. It is a blast to watch. It has some really inventive visuals and it combines kind of meme culture and which makes for an interesting film, though I think it's going to get old really fast if any other movies um, try and adapt this to kind of style. And I think one of the key things and why this film works as well as it does is that a lot of times we watch animated movies and they're made for kids, but they throw in stuff for parents to keep you entertained, right? Some jokes that they won't get or that kind of thing. But this film surpasses that. Where the film isn't only directed at the kids, but the message of the film is directed at the parents as well. And I think that is the secret sauce that makes this thing as good as it is. What are your thoughts about the Mitchells versus the Machines? Yeah, so I'm a little torn on this film. I think you hit the nail on the head that this thing has a lot of meme culture references in it. And I don't know how well all of that stuff is going to age. Like, I felt like it was pretty Mm -hmm. cringy going forward. And I think that's going to instantly date this movie within like a few years. So I'm not sure that that was a wise decision necessarily. But at the same time, I did appreciate it. I thought the message was really good. There are parts of this that I thought were really clever um, that I really enjoyed. And I think overall it's pretty successful. Now I was looking on Letterboxd and people really adore this. And I think there's, I guess there's some talk that this is like kind of like an LGBTQ allegory kind of thing. Like, well, I mean, it's definitely one of the better LGBT representation representative films I've seen in a while especially in an animated film focusing Mm -hmm. on for a kid's movie, you know? I think the way it portrays Katie as an openly LGBT character, but the way it's never, it's never like, hey, I'm gay, right? Right. It's it's more just a matter of fact, it's who she is. And And it's just a thing that's accepted in the family and in this universe. There's no questions about it. There's no... There's no askew looks or eye, eye, you know, eyebrow raising. It's not a part of the challenge of the relationship that she has with her father and the rest of the family. It's just mm-hmm. it's who she is, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that is um, really one of the big successes of this film. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that's a greater allegory for that? How so? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I... I... I guess that's what people are focusing on, or there's people that are really kind of focusing on that piece of it. Maybe there is more to it. I'm not really sure. I I don't know. I'm like really on the fence with this film. Part of me really enjoyed the family dynamic. Part of me really enjoyed the kind of sci-fi trappings of this, but the meme culture stuff had me cringing more often than not. So I, I I think that was a big, that was a big minus for me. Um, I think, um, It'll be interesting to see how this thing ages. Because, I mean, think of it as 
Wreck-It Ralph 2, like how well did that age? And that's already, you know, a few years old at this point, but it was so based on internet culture that that stuff goes, it changes so fast that it gets old fast. Yeah. No, I think that's fair, Matt. But in the moment, in this time, I, I think it's it's very successful. I think it has some really great sight gags and some one-off jokes. But for me, that mall scene, which is we kind of heard the beginning of in that clip, is an all-timer. With the mm. introduction of that classic child toy, right? Right. And when when they do the subtitles for what it's saying, <laughs> I was LOLing literally, like laughing out loud the whole every time. And that actually that scene alone, Matt, elevated the film for me like a letter grade. It was okay. so well done, so clever. And then I love all the little references. I mean, she's wearing Katie's wearing the um shining socks, right? Oh, Which right. I I appreciate it at some point. I don't know if you saw the uh, the, the carpet, no, the rug it. there. And then there are at least two uh, Kill Bill references in this film, which I yes. appreciated. Yeah, um, so I don't know. I feel like I could spend a day looking up all the Easter eggs and all the different things in there. But for me, it's a blast. And you're right, though. Will it age well? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> still, for this moment in time. I think it's great. It's a lot of fun. And that particular, as I said, that mall scene, folks, is the worth is worth the price of admission alone. alone. And mm-hmm. I ended up giving uh, the Mitchell's Wrist of Machines Matt a B plus. That scene went from like a B minus B and pushed it in. Because I will be honest with you. I think there are some things that don't work and that drag a little bit. Mm-hmm. But all the stuff with the robots, I loved Olivia Coleman in this. Right, even Eric Andre, Beck Bennett, and Fred Armisen as the two damaged robots are a yeah. lot of fun. I mean, there's yeah. a lot in here to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I gave it a, I gave it a B. Yeah, I thought there was enough here to, you know, it for to be an enjoyable watch with your family, and I, even for adults, you know, it's it's a good time. But as we've said, I, it'll be interesting to see of how well this thing ages, you know, in a few years, whether it has any kind of real staying power. Well, what would you think about that point I raised earlier, Matt, though, about the message for the adults and how to kind of open up and let your kids grow and be who they are and accept them for who they are, right? Did you, did that, I mean, I, you're, I, we all know you're like an A-plus top shelf dad. Right. So, but did you get any kind of, was it, did that have any special resonance for you as a father that when I am just a father of a dog who barely listens to me as it is, didn't really connect with it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is a good solid message, you know, to, and it's even the idea of, you know, letting your kids follow their dreams, even if though they may fail, and that's okay, to an extent, you know, you got to let them be who they're going to be. I think that's good. And of course, at the same time, there's a flip side to it, you know, it's not all about what can the parents do to be accepting or what's the message for the parents? There's messages for the kids there as well. You know, sure. it's like, so I thought it was a good dynamic because you usually get one side or the other that's learning the life lesson, whereas they're both kind of learning the life lesson at the same time. Exactly. And when we get the resonance of the moose toy mm-hmm. thing, what the, why that's important, I think that's exactly what you're saying and it's just as effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, no, I agree. Fantastic, folks. If you had a chance to see the Mitchells versus the Machines, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. It is currently streaming on Netflix. Okay, Matt, a little time for some What Are the Odds? We're getting closer and closer to this film being released, and I'm assuming you're going to have something, too, about its parent company 
being recently purchased. But uh, let's uh, let's jump in. Em really doesn't mind you earning a little money on the side, Dryden. She'd just prefer it if it wasn't selling secrets. The theatrics are supposed to scare me. You have the wrong man, Bond. If Em was so sure I was bent, she'd have sent a double O. Benefits of being section chief. I'd know if anyone had been permitted a double O status. No. Your file shows no kills. And it takes two. Shame. We barely got to know each other. I know where you keep your gun. Suppose that's something. So that is, of course, from the just fantastic, smashy-in-the-face opening of Casino Royale, Daniel Craig's first entry in the Bond franchise. Matt, we're getting closer and closer to the release of No Time to Die, the last Daniel Craig's last entry. And I got to tell you, folks, I'm getting more and more excited and more and more terrified the closer we get. So I've been cursing the entire time because I feel like I'm convinced. I think uh, Fukunaga said that it's going to introduce a brand new thing in the bonfire. It's going to change everything, I think is what mm-hmm. he said, basically, right? And what mm-hmm. I'm terrified of is that means we're just going to make James Bond a code name and pass it on to people now, and it's still not going to be the same guy, right? Okay. I, I'm still convinced that's what they're going to do. But then I had a different idea. What if it's the introduction of an expanded universe? So, Matt, okay. what are the odds that the ching that changes everything is that No Time to Die introduces a James Bond expanded universe and we get an Issa Rae film next time or we get a Felix Leiter film in a few years, right? What are the odds? I'm going to say the odds are 70%. Um, So my question, I did have a question that was kind of similar to this. So now I only have two questions, Chris, but I think what what you're going to see, especially with the Amazon purchase of this, of of MGM, I think you're going to see... TV shows, like maybe you have like a 006 TV show. Maybe you have. I think it would be an MI6 too, almost like a Gotham Central. Mm -hmm. Or uh, we'd probably get an MI6 show and then maybe even a Q branch show. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Q, maybe Young M. Maybe you get a money penny romantic comedy in there somewhere. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think there's going to be... I don't know how many of them will actually get big theatrical releases, but I think with the fact that they've got the Amazon Prime platform, I think it's pretty likely that they're going to start developing TV shows, um, maybe straight to streaming films, those kinds of things. I think we're pretty much guaranteed to get that. Yeah, so I'm going to say with the shared universe from a, like a theatrical standpoint, maybe 70%, but you know, expanded universe, shared universe, and like most of it lives online. I think that's that's much more likely closer to 100%. You know, I, I'm inclined to agree with your percentages as well. I mean, it's... Would the per, I would have seen prior to the purchase, I would have said about 60%, maybe. I'm, I've been pushing for like a kick-ass Felix Leiter movie for a long time. There should be. I don't know why there mm-hmm. isn't a Leiter film. You may have to recast it. No offense to Jeffrey Wright, but I think I want a younger, more James Bondian type for that role than I want sure. an administrator spy, right? So, but I'm still convinced that it's going to be the code name thing. I really am. And, and I, I remember I threatened to walk out of um, 
of what Spectre, if they revealed Blofeld to be his brother, because it's yeah. clearly what they were doing, and right. that, and it was a disaster, an absolute yeah. disaster. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, it's odds it's expanding the universe. I'll say like sixty percent that it is. But with the purchase of you said with Amazon Prime, I don't know if Amazon really has that big property, right? I know they tried to do that with the Jack Ryan thing. I watched the mm-hmm. first season, which I thought was kind of underwhelming. I didn't mm-hmm. even see the second one. And I know they got that Michael B. Jordan movie that right. we're, I don't know if we'll do at some point, but I heard is not terribly good. Okay. Uh, and then what is it? The Boys? When, when, what's what's Prime's big thing? The Boys has been a pretty solid hit for them. I really like The Boys. I think that's a really fun show. With the purchase of MGM, they actually get um, the rights to The Handmaid's Tale, which was a pretty big hit for Hulu. So any future seasons are going to come out on Amazon Prime as opposed to Hulu. But before that, yeah, I don't, I can't think of, I would say it's probably been The Boys and Invincible. Those are probably the two kind of biggest zit guy shows. And those have been relatively niche shows for the most part. And another thing too they get is Robocop. I know. That's pretty sweet. So we'll have to see what happens with that. But yeah. All right. Fair enough. What you got for me? Yeah. And I, I'm just to, to put a cap on it. I think Please. you're absolutely right about the code name thing because this film was made way before this like talks of being MGM being bought out even happened. So it's not like they could have ever built that into it. So I think you're pretty right that it's going to be the, the 007 <laughs> thing that's been kicking around for years. Jesus. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. What you got? Is James Bond going to be a code name too? That's what I'm saying. James Bond is oh. going to be the code name. Gotcha. Mm. Which is what's going to drive me crazy. I just, yeah. I mean, I get it. It's a way to introduce, I guess, different stuff though. You can have a James Bond of color and not have to be a code name. I that's right. fine. There's right. no reason to do that. Right. I don't know. Okay. I also, but other thing is too. I don't know why I'm so hung up on this. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't. Because it, it gives an actor to introduce different kind of personality traits for the character. You can yeah. do different things with it. But yeah. That's what's happened the entire time. Right. So why have it be? That, I mean, and we all know the codename thing. People think that's the way it is now, but it's not because Moore's Bond goes to Teresa's grave. Mm-hmm. Um, and Teresa was Lazenby's Bond's wife. Right. So it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, I don't understand some of the decisions they make over there. There's, there's certain things. I don't know if you saw that Twitter meme, like you've woken up and you're now in charge of X. I would like yeah. to be given the Bond franchise. Please. Just to show you how it's done. Yes. But what's interesting, it seems like it's more limiting at the same time because if you go with the concept that 007 is always James Bond and that's always the code name kind of thing, it almost seems like you lock in the other double O's. So like, you know, 006 always has to be X and 005 always has to be this because you would assume that they would always have their own code name to go with it. I, I guess. I don't know. It's just... <clears throat> It's very disappointing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that this is being destroyed for you. It looks great. I mean, those trailers, yeah. it looks like a gorgeous film. But yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Fine. All right. So we're getting four Marvel movies this year, right? One of which is going to be, at the end of the year, is going to be um, Spider-Man No Way Home, which is, I think, the last standalone film that uh, the MCU has for Spider-Man and Tom Holland. And Sony has recently come out saying that I didn't realize they had, they own the rights to 900 Marvel characters um, that are in the spider verse, if you will. 
Um, and they are going to come out with, um, they've decided that they're going to come out with something, not necessarily a Spider-Verse, but something that they're calling the Sony Pictures Marvel Universe. So what are the odds that this actually works the second time around? I don't know. I mean, it's... So are they going to try and re-sign Holland for a couple more films for, with the Disney deal, or are we just done with that now? Yeah, I, I really don't know. I know Tolland, Holland is in... He was on tap for two more films, which is No Way Home, and then I think it's going to be an appearance in some kind of like big film, like uh, whether it's an Avengers film or um, Multiverse of Madness. I'm not sure, but basically that's it. Like that's as far as his contract goes, as far as I'm aware, with the MCU. So do you recast, or do you try and bring Holland back, and you just do Sony Spider-Man movies? Yeah, I mean, I guess if it was me, I think I would bring Holland back. But I think, yeah, I think they, I think they bring their toys back. I don't think they let Marvel use Spider-Man anymore. So is it going to work this time? I don't know. I mean, I remember we, what, we were supposed to get a Sinister Six film. What was that ten years ago? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And didn't they just cast Aaron Taylor Johnson as Craven? They did. Yes. So. I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, could it work? You ask me, what are the odds it'll be? It'll actually happen this time. Yeah, one. What are the odds that it doesn't that it actually works? It doesn't actually fall apart like it did last time. I'll say forty-two percent. I'm not confident because I think it's going to depend on how Venom does. Venom two does, mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. more so Morbius, which I feel like there is no juice for really whatsoever. Right. right. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really, I'm not confident about any of this. No. Yeah, me neither. Um, I'm going to give it uh, a 35% chance. I think um, Venom, I, it made a ton of money, um, but it's not good. Um, I honestly, I really enjoyed Spider-Verse a lot into the Spider-Verse quite a bit, but I feel like that was almost a fluke compared to what the the product they put out so far. And I'm not convinced that they know what they're doing. They don't really have a Figi to kind of guide this ship. Um, and it makes me sad because Spider-Man is my favorite uh, comic book character. I wish, I so wish that they could have just, that it, that Marvel could have just retained the rights to gotten that back. But doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. So, oh, well. No, Sony needs it. I mean, that's yeah. one of the few, you know, property IP that they have that is uh, almost guaranteed to make them money in some capacity. Yeah. So, and we get those PlayStation exclusives. Swell. Games, at least. Yeah. Swell. All right, Matt. The first image, sort of, with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was released yesterday for this video game adaptation. So Matt, what are the odds that Eli Roth's Borderlands is the first truly great video game adaptation? We also have Ruben Fleischer doing Uncharted shooting mm-hmm. right now with Holland mm-hmm. and uh, Marky Mark. And Marky Mark. Well, I as much as I love Kate Blanchett, um, she is in Indiana Jones 4, so she can be in a stinker, that's for sure. I'm gonna say- Jamie Lee Curtis. Is, huh? was the, I thought it was Jamie Lee Curtis was the uh, image they released. Was it Kate Blanchett? It was a. It was Jamie Lee Curtis took a picture of Kate Blanchett ah, in, in her costume right. and silhouette. Um, that's right. So I'm going to say 40% 
because one, it's a video game movie. Two, it's Borderlands, which doesn't really have much of a story to begin with. And three, it's Eli Roth, who I have absolute zero faith in. <laughs> Ouch. That's, I don't think you're that far off, though. I yeah. think that... Uh, no, I mean, it's... Hmm. You imagine if they gave that more to like Zack Snyder, how crazy that thing would be. It'd be like right. four hours long. Right. Hallelujah would be in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, me- I forgot to mention that last week too about how bad he is at needle drops. I don't how can you? I'm, I'm not asking for a Tarantino level needle drop in your movie, right? Right. But just give me something. I mean, he yeah. always his obsession with these weak covers of these songs is just it befuddles me. I can't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. Anyway, I'm gonna. I'm yeah. I don't. In a weird way, this seems almost like a match made in heaven, Eli Roth doing something like this. Because, you know, I mean, he's technically a good filmmaker. Zack Snyder, technically a good filmmaker. But they just make artistic decisions sometimes that you just, you know, you, you just shake your head at and maybe want to bang it against a wall. Right. Uh, so this could be interesting. It would be the great greatest video game adaptation now. Not that I think Uncharted will be either. I think this, again, just will continue to be an unmined or unrewarded property at some point. I think my only real hope is HBO's adaptation of The Last of Us, the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that could really be something. What is the greatest uh, video game adaption right now? Up to this point? <sighs> Street Fighter, wow. Raul Julia, and Jean-Claude Van Damme? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Is it none of the Resident Evil movies? It's not Silent Hill. It's not. No, it's not Mortal Kombat. Not Doom. Doom. Oh, Carl Urban. I do. I like Carl Urban. Urban. Yeah. yeah. Assassin's Creed. I didn't even see Warcraft. Tomb Raider. None of those are any good. Double Dragon. No, I forgot. There's a Hitman movie because yeah, what's his name was in that. But Billy Zane in it, right? Yeah. No, no, Hitman. The first one was Timothy Oliphant. It was Billy Zane. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't see it. I thought I thought it was Billy Zane. No. Need for Speed, with um the guy from Breaking Bad. There, I think he was in that one, right? Yeah, Aaron Paul. Rampage with The Rock. So by default, is that it? That wasn't even a very good movie. Detective Pikachu, Sonic the Hedgehog. You know what so it may end up being? It's what? not out yet. Werewolves Within. Okay. Have you seen this yet? No. Check out that trailer. Well, World's Within, folks. It is. Uh, looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. That may end up being it, though. It's not out enough. But currently, wow. Matt, look at this stuff. I'm looking at this list on Wikipedia, and it is ugly. It may be Rampage. Holy cow. Wow. Prince of so Persia. So the bar is incredibly low. So Far let's Cry. There's a Far Cry movie? I guess. English language German action film. Oh, Yui Bull. Yui Bull. Wing Commander. Forgot about that one. Super Mario Brothers, strong contender. Let's just, let me just let's just sit here and read names <laughs> off the list for the next half hour. Sure, let's All right. Yeah. You got any more for me? I got one more. Yeah, it's sometimes odds is really tough for me. Um so I'm just gonna go this one out there. Um we'll go to another superhero question. What are the odds that Deadpool three actually ends up being R rated? Oh, I'm I'm sure it'll be I'm like ninety five percent on that. I have no really? concerns with that. 
I think that uh, Disney is shuffling all of its dirty material off to Hulu, right? Isn't that where they're putting it now? But I think that, um, I mean, they used to have Touchstone. They had Buena Vista, mm. right? So it's not something they haven't done in the past. And I think there would be, I cannot imagine the online revolt if there was a PG-13 Deadpool movie. I don't, I just don't think, if the movie gets made is my qualifier, I would say it's like 90 plus percent. Right. You don't think so? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I guess it's really just a question of whether if they make it a part of the MCU proper, I don't think so. I don't think it will be. But if they move it over to like Fox Searchlight and make it like a um, kind of super meta kind of in and out kind of thing, I think it could work. Um, I'm going to give it 80%. I'm not I'm not as confident, but I think it's pretty likely. And it's Searchlight, Matt. No longer Fox Searchlight. Just like it's Excuse 20th me. century films. Gotcha. Sorry. Excuse me. Get your head out of your butt. All right. My last one for you, Matt. They started filming. I still can't believe this is happening. Indy 5. Right. Is filming. Mm-hmm. What are the odds it's better than Crystal Skull? Um, You know what? I'm going to say 65% because I think they learned some lessons. Um, And I'm hoping they kind of uh take take what was not successful about indy 5 and or indy 4 and and uh maybe get back to form with indy 5 although you know what maybe it's like the star trek movies the odd ones are good maybe that's the way it works out so a couple things it's not directed by spielberg it's directed by james mangold this time but okay phoebe waller bridge is in it okay and mads mickelson is in it as well which i think uh helps elevate the proceedings and if I remember correctly, isn't it supposed to be kind of like stopping the Nazis from developing some kind of spaceship thing or something? I think so. I like think that messing with right. the uh, Apollo stuff. I think. Okay. I don't know. Okay. But you throw in Nazis again with Indy, then uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. James Mangold. Yeah, uh, I mean he's done some good work. He's had some misses as well. So. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. All right. I mean, he did Copland, which I, I really like. The Wolverine and Logan, right? Which you love. You love Logan. I did. I did love the Logan. Ford versus Ferrari was very, very good, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll have to see how that checks out. But I'll I'll say we'll be better than Crystal Skull. Did I give a percentage yet? I don't think I did. Um, I think I'm going to say 65%, I think is what I said. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'm a a little bit better about that. I'm still kind of concerned. I mean, what's Ford coming in at? Is he 78 or something like that? 76? I don't know. It's a good question. 78. Jesus. Indiana Jones, 78 years old. That's crazy. Uh, Yeah, so um, we'll be better on Crystal Skull. I mean, with the introduction of Waller Bridge and Mickelson, um i'm feeling pretty good about that so i will say yeah and i'll go 72 percent that it will be better okay it's a good that's a good weird number thank you thank you very much good times all right i had another question about the wb logo but it turns out that logo that was online yesterday is yeah. for the greater corporation and all the films and stuff looks like they'll still be coming out under that updated blue shield that was released okay. was it early this year or okay. last year so you don't have to worry about that folks we can calm the uh, internet hordes down with that one Whew, right, Matt. Thank goodness. So there you go. What do your What do you think, folks? Think what are your odds that you would assign to some of that fun stuff happening? Shoot us an email at feedback 
at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up next week, time for some more scares. Are you excited? I'm super excited. Super. Conjuring 3 is coming out. Let's hope it's better than the last time they tried to fake us out with a third Conjuring movie, which was not a third Conjuring movie. Still makes me mad. (laughs) We're going to do Alexander Asia's Oxygen as well, I believe, which will be on Netflix, I believe. Okay. Okay. And then our top five will be the five best horror movies based on a true story, air quotes. Oh, good one. True story. Good one. Such a skeptic. That's right. <laughs> In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show, and we'll go ahead and read it on the air. And, of course, you can go ahead and check out my... The first run sister show, uh, Screen Run, that I do with the Lady Juan, where we talk about Kevin Smith movies. We just released Zach and Mary Make a Porno last week, which mm-hmm. was a fun one. And then I think we have, is it Cop Out coming next? So we're coming near the end of the run, Matt. We only have a few more episodes of that. And then we are having discussions about season two already. So stay tuned for that. We're going to get you involved in that one, Matt. You're not, you can't oh. get away this time. Thank you. Darn, I tried my best. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, so that's going to be it. We're going to go ahead and uh, take an extended break. Take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. We'll see you soon. You have chosen 